1: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss show. We're always talking about the way the world is changing. Of course, as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology, and I want to bring to you some of the latest breaking news headlines so you can see the way the world is changing. It looks like things don't change. Um, a lot of people are disappointed in the direction the world is going. Some people are happy about it. Most people are disappointed in the way the world is going and it doesn't seem like any change is happening. I talk about this pendulum that swings, but unfortunately the pendulum swings as we go from one ideology to the next, but it happens over a 250 year period. And so it's important to sort of look at the signs so you can see it happening. And what we've been talking about, I've talked about extensively over the last couple of weeks, but I wanna hit on it again today, is the massive shift that's happening down in Argentina. And the reason why I wanna talk about this again is because things are actually starting to happen and I wanna talk about them and more more specifically, um, the new president, Miele, Miel- has done several things since we've talked about this last, including he gave a talk yesterday at the signing of some new bills that radically transforms the country. And most importantly, I believe this sets up a template. It sets up an example for the rest of the world to follow. And so while it's easy to sort of get discouraged by things that are happening like, how the United States is uh, falling into authoritarianism by, you know, r- trying to get rid of a democratically, you know, the, the a democratically elected leader or not even elected at this point, but the front runner in the next uh, democratic election or how Europe is putting in uh, censorship uh, policies onto their internet to make them basically like China with a great firewall, Well, it's, it's easy to be discouraged by that, we can see other bright spots. And so we want to hang on to that. And what am I talking about specifically? So again, uh, Argentina elected a new president, uh, President Miele. Now, two, one thing that shocks me about this, but also gives me hope is I always believed that once you have a democracy, which is mob rule, once the mob once 51% or more is able to vote themselves more things, they will continue to do that. I mean, why would they ever vote to get less things? If you could vote, instead of getting $2,000 a month, if you could vote yourself $3,000 a month, why wouldn't you? I mean, I'll take the free money. And if you now got $3,000 a month, why would you vote to go back down to $2,000 or $1,000? And of course you wouldn't. And so that's sort of the thought process there if you understand sort of these incentives. But here we have... Argentina elect the president who ran on a campaign to basically get rid of all that, to, to shrink the size of the government and get rid of all these government handouts, all these government subsidies, and all these things that the people wanted. So I never thought this would be able to happen. Now. What happens is unfortunately, with human nature is that we only move and react when pain gets high enough. It's why I believe in going to the chiropractor, I believe in the importance of having a uh, structurally correct spine, so I don't impinge on my nerves, things like that. But yet, I don't typically go and tell I'm in pain. And I might be in a little bit of pain, and I may not go if I'm in enough pain, I'll go right now. Right? And so we only move when there's enough pain, sometimes we have to hit rock bottom. And maybe Argentina hit the rock bottom, maybe that was rock bottom. And maybe the United States is a long way from rock bottom. Argentina has been at rock bottom for years, probably we'll talk about some of that here in a minute. But he gave a talk that um, I, I wanted to play some of it for you but it was in Spanish and I had to re- read the transcription of it and I wasn't able to get get it played. I know with AI we can probably do it where I could get a transcribed and you could listen to it but let me just tell you some of the pieces that I heard him talk about that that really surprised me. So the first thing is he talked about, well, before before we talk about that, let's talk about what he's actually done. No, we'll talk about what he did. So he basically, in, in this uh, speech that he gave as he was signing this bill, which I'll tell you what it was, he talked about what he was doing to change more specifically he talked about the problems that he's there to solve and what i was shocked by what i was very pleased by is he seemingly identified the problem very very well very very specifically and and what do i mean by that he basically said that what we have been suffering from in argentina is he calls them all socialism communism fascism, authoritarianism, and all of these are collectivism. You see, so what happens, what we have today in legacy media and so forth is they try to say that, oh, Donald Trump or whatever, these extreme far-rights are fascist, extreme far-right, like Trump is fascist. And then we have the socialist, um, the, the squad, the Bernie Sanders, the AOCs, they're, they're socialists. So socialism is left and fascism is hard right. But, and, and they're, they're trying to draw this as distinction, sort of this divide and conquer. But Miele says, no, no, all of that is the same. All of that is collectivist. And he said, those collectivists collectively think that the state is greater than the sum of the people. You see, there is no such thing as a state. There is you and I, there is we, the people, you and I have God-given rights, as is laid out in the Constitution of the United States, inalienable God-given rights, a right to pursue life, liberty, and property, or, or happiness, as it's said today. And those are rights that were given to us by a creator, not by man. And now we have the right to those, those and I have the right to defend my rights right to life, liberty, and, and property. And collectively, you and I as neighbors could collectively defend our right to life, liberty, and property. And collectively, as a city, I could we could come together to protect our right to those things. But this, there is no city, there is no state, there's us that come together to collectively work on things, but there is no state. And he, he says, these collectivists think that the state is greater than the people, but that's not the case. Remember, the government in the United States is of the people, by the people for the people. Today we have these Elizabeth Warrens and they're saying that they want to push policies that the people don't want because they know better, a technocrat. They're the expert. They know better. The state knows better. And he says no, the state doesn't. He says that the state thinks that they're god. They know better. They can plan the minutia. They want to plan the minutiae. They think they can plan the minutiae, the every detail of everybody's life in Argentina. But it's about Argentina. It's about the rest of the world. He goes on to say that, um, you know, this, this being the problem, that they can control that. And he says, in free countries, like in America, in the land of the free, you are free to do everything and anything unless there's a law prohibiting you from doing the thing. But in Argentina, and what we're starting to see in the West and the United States as well, but he says in Argentina, you're not free to do anything unless you've been given specific permission to do it. See the difference there? In Argentina, there's so many rules, so many laws, so many regulations that you cannot do anything without permission. Now, in America, in the land of the free, uh, where I live, you can't even go have a birthday party for your kid in the park without getting a permit. And not only do you have to have a get a, uh, get a permit, if you wanted to have balloons there or somebody comes for food, you have to use one of the approved vendors. Sounds sort of like Argentina. So we're not free to just go have a birthday party for my kid in the park. No, I have to get permission. And this is what Miguel is talking about. And he was able to identify this uh, so articulately. It's also the point that I made in my book, The Uncommunist Manifesto. Highly recommend you read this because we make the exact same book. All politics is collectivist. And it, it's in stark contrast or in opposition to the individual, which is you and I. Now, a couple of things that he did, just to talk about that real quickly, uh, uh, a lot of things, but basically, he's basically eliminated like half of the government. All of these ministries of fill in the blank, he's just gotten rid of them. He went around uh, on his campaign trail with like a with a chainsaw. He's eliminated about half of the government. He's gotten rid of over 380,000 regulations, 380,000 regulations. Now when Donald Trump ran, he ran on a, on a, on a campaign, I think his, his promise was to get rid of Three regulations for every new one that got enacted. I believe he actually beat that. Um, But Miele just went in and said, hold my beer. Here's 380,000 that I'm getting rid of right now. Uh, He's repealed all types of laws that are holding things back. Rental laws, supply laws, gondola laws, um, national purchase laws, uh, price laws, price fixing, um, trade promotion laws, industrial promotion laws. Um... State company laws, transformation of state companies into public companies, modernization of labor regimes, and on and on and on. Basically, it's back, back to sort of like the quote from Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrug, when you have to get permission from men who produce nothing. And in Argentina, you couldn't do anything without producing nothing. He has seen the problem clearly, he's solving the problem clearly, I applaud it. And I want to continue to talk about it because I think this is the greatest experiment in the world going on today. That fills me with hope. Hopefully it fills you with hope. And hopefully, it leads the rest of the world by example. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'll be back with more in a minute after a very quick break. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
3: Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future Rings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms.
4: Hey, I'm Jay Shetty and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed.
2: All right, welcome back. If you're just tuned in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're always talking about the way the world is changing. We're talking about some of the latest breaking news headlines this week. And of course, when we're talking about freedom, we were just talking about Argentina and what Miele is doing there. He also passed a rule down there that people could use whatever money they want, including Bitcoin, similar to what happened in El Salvador. El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender. So you can use dollars there. You can also use Bitcoin there. And in Argentina, Miele also said you could use Bitcoin if you want. Why wouldn't you be able to? I mean, in a free country, you should be able to use whatever money you want. I don't know why you have to pass a law for that, but I think it's pretty amazing. At the same time, we're seeing here in the United States um, a sort of this uh, push and pull tug of war, if you will, about Bitcoin as well. We have on one hand of the aisle, we've been talking about extensively over the last couple of weeks, we have um, the rise of these ETFs that look like they're about to go through, potentially by the time you listen to this recording, they could be up uh, in the next days, weeks, uh, potentially in the last month uh, or in the next month. Multiple ETFs could be approved, which looks like they're allowing Bitcoin to grow, allowing Bitcoin to flourish. And then on the other side of the aisle, you have Elizabeth Warren on this rampage trying to put in these draconian laws that would literally make, could make Bitcoin illegal. So are we trying to make it illegal? Are we trying to? Are we trying to pass it? What are, we, what are we trying to do here? We're seeing this tug of war. If I had to guess, it looks like in my opinion, what they're trying to do is on one hand, make it legal for these Wall Street entities to make money from it. But the Wall Street entities aren't actually even buying and selling Bitcoin. All of these ETFs have now had to change the way they work. So they're not going to be buying and selling Bitcoin anymore. Now, there'll be cash settling, which means you're basically just giving them cash and they're paying you out with cash, not Bitcoin. And you're just basically betting on the direction of Bitcoin, sort of like a futures market. You see, in an ETF, they should be holding it, it should be physically settled, but they're all changing the rules to not have that. And so it looks like what they want is, oh, Americans, sure, you can uh, you can invest into Bitcoin, but you can't actually buy it. Um, the fund that you invest into doesn't actually buy it. And by the way, you're not allowed to hold it on your own anymore. You know, I could see them saying you're not allowed to hold uranium anymore, right? So you have to buy uranium through a fund or an ETF because uranium's dangerous. (laughs) You probably shouldn't have uranium at your house, but they don't want you to have Bitcoin either. So my guess is that you're going to see these bills by Elizabeth Warren. If this one doesn't go through, we'll see another one rise up. Um, And the attack vector would be they wanna take away your custody, but you could go buy it in an ETF that doesn't actually own it either the financialization of everything. But while we're seeing that, we've also seen another big deal happen this week, which is also helping Bitcoin. And this is what's known as the FSAB or the rule guarantee for value, fair value accounting for Bitcoin. Now, this is a pretty big deal. Michael Saylor, uh, one of the largest Bitcoin holders in the world, talked about some of the biggest catalysts that he sees that could change um, the sort of the whole direction of Bitcoin would be a couple of things. One, the approval of an ETF check. Two, the change in these fair value accounting for Bitcoin. If that happens, then he thinks there could be a mad rush into it. Why is that? Well, you see, under the traditional accounting standards, um, they've classified the way you can hold it and the way you have to report it on your taxes and the way you pay taxes. Now businesses are, penalized or rewarded for the assets and the asset valuations they have on their books. So under this new standard for Bitcoin and other digital assets, starting in December of 2024, um, the regulations will change What will make it much more um, much more advantageous for these businesses to hold on to it. Uh, And so basically, the way it works is that they'll be able to market to market, if you will, if the value of Bitcoin went up, then it would Add to their valuation. And if it goes down, they could write that down as well. And by being able to go into this new fair accounting rules, it's going to be a lot easier for these um, corporations to hold Bitcoin on their books, which will have a massive um, push. So not only do we have the ETF, which will potentially bring in, I think I talked about it a week or two ago, 72% of financial advisors said that they would push uh, Bitcoin and crypto assets to their clients. 72% if an ETF was approved. So we could potentially have um, this uh, massive army of, of financial advisors going to meet with their clients and moving percentage of their money over into this. And, and this doesn't have to be done on a client by client basis. Most of these clients don't manage their own money. The financial advisors do this for them. Most people are investing through 401ks, mutual funds, and things like that. They're not even managing their own money. So really, you just have the fund manager deciding, Ah, yeah, I'll just take a 1%. I'll take a 2% stake into Uh, into this Bitcoin through this ETF. So we have that and then we have the change in the way that they can um, hold it on their books and account for it. And so these two things are massive. And what this does is actually even something bigger. So when you look at new technology, you have something known as the diffusion of innovation. The diffusion of innovation is basically like a bell curve. And I'm sure you guys have all seen it before. I'll explain it to you and it'll make sense to you. So you sort of have this upside down, or not upside down, but you have this sort of bell curve. And in the beginning on the far left, you would have um, what's considered the innovators, the creators. So this would be the people who invented it, the coders, the developers, et cetera. And that typically gets you to about five or 6%. Then you have the next stage in that bell curve of, of adoption um, that would be called the true believers. So this is the people who saw this new technology early and jumped onto it. If this was the internet, this is the people in the mid-90s who were figuring out how to get their computer on the internet, were installing these modem cards that were using the AOL chat rooms. These were the early adopters. These are the people that saw Bitcoin early and started buying Bitcoin early and started adopting it. That typically gets you to about 15% adoption and we're past there. But then there's what's known as the chasm. There's a gap. The chasm is a is a is a is a gap that has to be crossed over. Then you get the early majority. The early majority are then the ones that uh, will jump in. You know the early part of the majority, and then you have the late, late majority. And what I want to talk about is the chasm. So the chasm is an is a is a part that has to be crossed to bring in the early majority. So what is that? Well, that means something in their mind has to shift. You see the early adopters and the true believers, they see it. They're the first ones to jump onto this new technology, they can envision the future, but the majority can't. So something has to change in their mind, where they no longer have to know what it is or how it works. They don't have all these questions and doubts, because all of that has sort of been solved through the market. So for example, you know, today, we use uh, the internet on our phones. And we use like FaceTime, you don't need to know how FaceTime works. Like how is it that somebody's face shows up on your phone for you You don't need to know the answer to that question, you don't even ask that question, you just use it, right? The early days of the internet, you wanted to know all about it. And so some of these things we've already been crossing the chasm. But really, what I think is this ETF is a major, major move to get us over the chasm. And I think this uh, new rule accounting is also that move. You see, A lot of people, maybe you listening, uh, think, oh, but this Bitcoin is this stupid magic internet money. I can't trust it because I can't hold it in my hand. I think it's probably a Ponzi scheme. I think fill in the blank, right? I've, I've heard it all. We don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is all these things. But once it's crossed over mainstream, once every, you know, major financial Wall Street institution is now owning it, holding it, your banks own it, hold it, all these big institutional funds own it and hold it because the, the not just the ETFs, but the but the rule accounting changes, et cetera. Once that happens, and you'll see that it's just in your fidelity account, all of that doubt goes away, the chasm, goes away. Anyway, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, talking about some of the latest breaking news headlines this week as we talk about the world through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. I got to take a very quick break. I'll be back with more. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
0: Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years.
2: Hello and welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're running through some of the latest breaking news headlines of the week so you know what is going on in the world. And there's something that I've been talking about quite a bit lately. And I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep talking about it over and over and over because I believe it is the single most important issue of our lifetime. It's the fight of our life and it is going on right now right now? What am I talking about? Well, it's kind of a a big group of things. But ultimately, it comes down to one thing, which is censorship, censoring, my ability to speak, your ability to hear, and your ability to choose what you want. You see, if if they limit what I can say, then they limit what you hear. And if they limit what you hear, then they limit your choices. They constantly, they, whoever's making the rules, the laws, they talk about equality or they talk about fairness. Um, but really, we can't have equality of an outcome. We can have equality of a choice, of a chance, the ability, the freedom to better our lives. But when they censor what I say, they censor what you can hear. And more importantly, like I said, they censor what you can do. Now, in... The United States, they keep talking about the democracy, the democracy, the democracy of the United States, a threat to our democracy. We must spread democracy. I just want to say real quick for all the listeners, the United States is not a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. If you grew up in the United States, you said this every single day when you put your hand over your heart and you pledged allegiance to the United States for all it stands. The republic for which it stands, the republic. It's a republic, you know this. But back to the democracy. And even the definition of a democracy would be what the people want, the majority of the people. So we must, one, have an educated mass of people. Two, we must hear from what the people want, and the democracy would be the majority are voting for this thing, this bill, this law, this person, this president, etc. So when they tell you that they're trying to protect the democracy by not allowing a certain group of people to say what they want, how is that a democracy? Obviously, it goes against that. Now, I want to break this down and show you some very specific things that are being done right now that you need to be aware of. But let's just start right at the top, and then we'll dive into this. Right at the top this week, in not just the most egregious thing that I've ever seen in my life, and I pay attention to this because I commentate on it every week. Some of the most serious things that professionals that have been in this for a long time have ever seen, and what am I talking about? I'm talking about Colorado taking president, former president, Donald J. Trump off of the ballot. Think about that for a minute. Taking him off of the ballot in the state of Colorado. Now, he is leading the polls. He is the favorite to win the election. Now, when you hear about other countries and, you know, in Russia or, you know, in uh, other, other countries like that. Like, these leaders in, in Africa, in the Congo, they arrest their rival, their democratically elected person, they arrest him and they throw him into prison. They make him illegal. Uh, they make it illegal for him to be on the ballot, sort of like what they did to Bolsonaro down in Brazil. Sort of like what Zelensky did to the president that was democ- democratically elected before him. Put him in jail. And here we have... The majority, the, 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 president, the former president, who's leading in the polls, who looks like from every poll that's been run, he would win the popular vote to be the next president. And they're literally taking him off of the ballot so you can't even vote for him. Now, they're taking away your freedom to vote. You can't vote for the person that you want. And for what? What? That's supposed to be democratically elected. So in order to save the democracy, they have to take away your voice and your ability to vote. Now, what they're accusing him of, um, they're using some obscure rule, the 14th Amendment, and he's disqualified for running for election because of this. Because from some obscure bill from over 100 years ago that says, um, you know, if he has... um, because of insurrection, he's no longer allowed to run. Now, to sort of frame this up, what's pretty interesting is we can see that in, de- in in Colorado, it's been taken over by Democratic voters. Not to make this a left or right, but that's just the facts. But what we can see is that even with all these democratically elected um, people who, who, who voted on this, there was almost a split decision. It was you, it was It was four versus three. Now, again, what they did is they reinvigorated this Section 3 of this 14th Amendment, which reads in part that no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elected president or vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States who's engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Now, again, that was written in 1866. That was a a year after the Civil War had ended, right? Civil War, where millions of Americans have died. And it was written right after that to keep the losers, at that time the Confederates, from getting back into government, all right? Now, they're saying that January 6th and this insurrection against the government, it was the worst day in American history, it was worse than 9-11, it was worse than any of the wars, it was worse than the Civil War. But here's the thing. They're saying it was an insurrection, the media, but no federal court has said that. There's no Justice Department that said that. The federal courts, the Justice Department, isn't even alleging that Trump is guilty of anything even close to insurrection or rebellion. The media is calling it insurrection, but in the charges they're bringing against him, they're not. They're not even alleging that he's done that. Even if if they were alleging it in the United States were innocent— until proven guilty. So even if they were alleging it, he hasn't gone to court, He's and he should be innocent until proven guilty, and then he would have to go through court. So how can the state of Colorado be holding him guilty of something he's never even been alleged to have done? Something that the Justice Department isn't even saying happened. Now, you have to ask yourself that. So he hasn't even been accused of it by the Justice Department. He obviously hasn't been found guilty. Even if he was accused, he'd be innocent until proven guilty. He hasn't been proven guilty, but yet the state is judge, jury, and executioner on this, and not just judge, jury, and executioner. They're 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 deciding this uh, something again who's never even been um, alleged this. He has no way to defend himself. But more importantly, this isn't even an attack on Donald Trump. It's an attack on you. It's an attack on you. They're taking away your freedom to choose what you want. Now, I, I do want to say, like I said, all of this, all of All of the votes were done by Democrats, but it was split four to three. One thing that I think is uh, worth looking into here is that we can see what are the differences of the four versus three. Maybe this is commonality, not causality, but all four of the ones who voted to take Trump off of the ballot are all Ivy League graduates. They all voted to disqualify Trump. But the local colleges, the community, the the local college um, people voted to keep him on. Is this something about elitism? Is it something where they think they're smarter than you? The elites are wanting to thwart the will of the people? Maybe, right? They're the ones that are alleging this. They're the ones that are trying to take this into their own hands. And they're trying to broaden this law to make it fit. But where does this go? And I always want to look at both sides of this. So now we could say, well... The DOJ never accused him of this. They didn't say he did it. They certainly haven't uh, convicted of of it. Um, But what they're saying is he... They, they want to use this because he was a, an enemy of the United States. Well, if you know under the Constitution, people are are voted in on the Constitution or sworn in on the Constitution vowing to uphold it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. You could look at the president of the United States who is um, allowing an attack to happen uh, by opening up the borders and have an invasion happen. And we could have red states. So now in Texas, they're saying, well, why don't we move, uh, remove Biden's name from the ballot? Should we just have all red states remove the blue state candidates and all blue states to just remove the red state candidates? Like, where does this go? And ultimately, it's not about left or right. It's not about red or blue. It's about you and I and we the people. All of this censorship is about one thing. It's about them destroying the democracy in their words, trying to protect it, trying to save it. I just want you to understand where this is going, because this is going to affect your life. Like I said, this is the biggest battle that we have on our hands. It's the fight of our life, because if they take away our ability to receive information, how can we be educated? If they take away my ability to receive information to be educated, then how can I make informed decisions? And if they take away who I can and can't vote for, then even if I had an informed decision, how could I voice that? And what type of a democracy is that? And once these are enacted, imagine how they can be abused over and over and over again. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. i got to take a very quick break. I'll be right back with more. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
3: Complete terms.
4: Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here.
5: Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from Nitsa and the Ad Council. All
2: right. Welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about some of the latest breaking news headlines this week. So you can see how the world is changing. More importantly, you can get out in front of them so you can protect yourself. Now, something I saw this week that I thought was pretty interesting is um, talking about the American dream is the loss of the American dream or the death of the American dream. You know, the problem with the American dream is that the American dream continues to get further and further and further out of reach for most people. You know, before we got off the gold standard in 1971, the American dream could be reached by one person in the household working, and you could achieve the house and the car and the family and all of those things. And today, even a family with two income earners can't get that. The reason why is because the cost of living has gone up faster than your income has gone up. It's not hard to understand this. It's very basic. Of course, the government mainstream media and you know, in coordination with them try to obscure this, they try to make it complicated. So you can't understand this. No, it's very basic. The cost of living has gone up faster than your wages have gone up. Why is that? Well, it's because of the money. If you listen to the show, you already know that. They increase the supply of the money so fast that it pushes the price of goods and services up. But it's not that the price of goods and services are going up, it's that your money is losing its value, and so it takes you more of that money to get the same things that you used to get. There's been uh, some memes going around, and actually not memes, but um, it's this time of year at Christmas. Uh, one of the most famous Christmas movies is uh, Home Alone. And in the Home Alone movie, you see Kevin, the little kid, Macaulay Culkin, go to the store. Um, his, his family left him, if you know the movie. Uh, his family left him accidentally, and he's, uh, he's home alone. And he had to scrounge up some money and he had to go to the store. He had to go buy some things for himself. And there's been people that have gotten basically that list of goods that he bought and priced it. And then they look at how much that would cost today. So you can see uh, this in real time. As a matter of fact, um, the basket of goods that he bought is up like, I think it was, I wanna say 177%. I was just looking at here, let me see if I can find it here. So we can see that uh, Kevin's Home Alone grocery bill has increased 177% just since 1990. And basically it was a mix of food and housekeeping supplies. So what did he buy? He bought a half gallon of milk. He bought a half gallon of orange juice, some white bread, a TV dinner, frozen mac and cheese, Tide liquid detergent, saran wrap, uh, toy soldiers, snuggle dry sheets, and toilet paper. Now, at the time in 1990, Kevin, the kid, only had 19 well, he had $20 on him. So he paid $19.83, 20 bucks to get all that stuff. Today, those exact same things would cost you $55. So from $20 to $55. Now, what's interesting is the government number on this says that um, housekeeping supplies increased by only 88%. So CPI, the government's number tells you it only went up by hundred I'm sorry, 88%. But the reality is, if you look at the numbers, it's actually up more like 177%. And so we can see this in real time. But really what's happening is, again, this is stealing your life, if you will, stealing your American dream. Let's look at a couple other things. So we can see that the real median wages as adjusted for inflation in 2001 were 39135 Today in 2023, they're up, they're up, which is great, up to 41,535. So the median pay is gone up, has gone up by 6.1% in the last 22 years. Sounds pretty good. Your rate of pay has gone up. But if we look at adjusted household income, we can see in 2001, it's 77,000, in 2023, it's only 63. So it's actually gone down by 18.5% over the same 22 year period. Now, if we look at the CPI chart, which we just talked about, which is again manipulated, it shows about an increase of 88%. So from 2001, it was 157, 2023, it was 295. So while your adjusted, inflation adjusted household income went down by 18.5%, your cost of living went up by 88%. So it's not the right way. Not only did it not go up, your actual pay went down as prices of goods and services are going up. Now on housing costs, the median rental price in 2021 was $1,792. It's an increase since 2000 of 106%, basically doubled from 2023. Uh, oh, and then the median homes, home price, the sell in 2023 was 454000 an increase of 181% since 2001. Homes are a perfect proxy for inflation. So sort of what going back to Kevin's basket of goods being um, 177%, real estate went up 181%. So real estate is always a perfect proxy. Uh, It always goes up perfectly with the rate of inflation. Now if you want to beat inflation with real estate, then you need scarce assets in real estate. So these would be trophy assets, trophy homes, this would be beachfront property, lakefront property, something that has something unique. Now those will go up faster, but, but real estate is sort of a proxy for that. Now we can also look at other things like the poverty rate. So in 2001, it was 10%. In 2022 is 9.1%. That's the official rate right? That's the official rate anyway. And we can trust that about it. as much as we can trust the CPI, which is not at all, we can see that because of this gap of prices going higher, and uh, what real wages is going down, then how do you fill the gap? Well, oh, you fill the gap with debt. And so we see the massive amount of increased debt load happening. Student loan debt has gone uh, up as high it's up to 1.7 trillion in 2023, which is up Almost 300, or it's up from about 300 billion in 2001. So from 300 billion to 1.7 trillion. That's student loan debt. Now, part of that is because not a lot of people are getting, obviously, not a lot of people are getting student loan debt in, in 2001. That's why I was only 300 billion. But when you make it available to everybody and you make it available, not just to everybody, but basically for free, and they can get as much money as they want, what do you think happens? More people take it. And now that more people could take it, then the schools want to take that money from them. And so then we have more people taking it, more people taking it from the schools. And then the price of the education goes up. So now we have all this access to free money. Everyone's going to take the free money because we have so much free money. What happens when they create more free money? The prices go up. The student tuition went up. And that's why we've gone from $300 billion in student loan debt to 1.7 trillion. My daughter, um, has friends that are going through college on student loans. One of, one of her friends, a boy got his money and just went and spent it all. He took his friends on trips that he was going out to dinner all the time. They were doing all these things, not spending his money on school, but on living like this life that he wanted to live. And now he's dropped out. So now he's got all this money that he spent on having a good time. Cause it was just free money for a young kid who thinks it's a good idea to give uh, a you know, hundred grand to 18, 19 year old boy. Um, But that's what happened. And that's why this debt number has been exploding. But it's not just student loan debt, we see household debt, $15.7 trillion in 2023, which is about double from 2001, it was 7.7 trillion. So to make up that gap of prices rising higher and wages dropping, we've had to add or double the amount of household debt, which is a pretty big deal, that household debt is a drag on the economy. So now instead of deploying new money into things that could make me money like investments, or living a good life. Now I have to just pay debt, right debt basically pulls value from the future and bring, and brings it back. And so that's what we've seen. So we can basically see from all of these examples, how literally your life is being stolen from you, instead of being able to work less hours to hang out with your kids, instead of taking your family on a nice vacation, you can't afford that, you got to pay for the debt, the debt that you had to pay because your cost of living went up so fast. It's literally your life, you were working more hours to have a lower quality of life than you had before. And again, why is that? Well, it's all back to the government. It's all back to the endless amount of money printing that we have. As they print more money, the money buys less and less goods and services as the money buys less and less goods and services. Yes, your cost of living goes up. And this is a big deal. It's the fight of our life. It's why I'm going to continue to keep it um, at the forefront of this and continue to bringing it to you. But, you know, one way that we can do this is by uh, we can save the democracy is by saving ourselves. So hopefully you understand this. We need to put it squarely in the hands of the government. This is what I like about it in Argentina. President Miele has this understood. He's put it directly in his in his crosshairs. The people of Argentina have rallied behind him and they are going to attack this. Will they fix it? I don't know. We'll wait and see, but I'm hopeful for that. Anyway, if you're just tuning in you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, I'd love it if you're listening on your podcast player. If you could give me a review of the show, hit me up on social media. Let me know if you're listening. And that's what I got. Until next time, to your success, I'm out.
3: It's brand new, season two. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Oh hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast Climbing in Heels is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.